0: Welcome to Without the Footnotes, Not Your Typical Holocaust Lecture with me, your host, Estherini. On this week's episode, I'll be talking about the final solution. Hi friends and welcome to the sixth episode of Without the Footnotes, Not Your Typical Holocaust Lecture. We are now coming to just over halfway through of the 10 episode series for series one. So that's quite exciting. Um, I feel like within the week that has passed since recording last that it's been the longest week of my life. (laughs) And I think that's because the days are getting noticeably shorter. Like I wake up in the morning and it's dark and then I come home from work and I probably have like an hour before it gets dark again so I feel like my days are just one long blur of night time or sitting at my desk at work um I think I have lockdown 2.0 corona fatigue but I'm sure everybody else is feeling on some level similar um But hopefully it doesn't go on for too much longer. I know in the UK, like, stuff's going to partially start, like, reopening back up. But here in Berlin, nope. We, if anything, things are getting more strict. (laughs) So everybody here just has to, I guess, just buckle in for the winter. And just hope that they roll out this vaccine sooner rather than later. But not to bum everyone out too hard because actually today I'm going to be talking about the final solution so I don't need to be a Debbie Downer for all of you in fact I'm actually just going to stop talking and what can I what can I do to lift your spirits well it's By the time you listen to this, it's officially December, so all Christmas, all Christmas songs, all Christmas decorations, everything is completely and 100% allowed, even if you've put it up early, which I did. I actually put my Christmas decorations up on Friday, but I feel like anything goes this year. Um, So, yeah, maybe settle into the festive vibes. If you celebrate Christmas, even if you don't, you can just use it as an excuse to eat, drink and be merry. So yeah, Uh, I think I'll just get on with the episode. I will just, I will just say a bit of a warning. Um, I am going to be talking about the final solution, which focuses on the mass murder of European Jews. So it might just be a little bit tougher this week, considering the last couple of episodes have really been a bit of an overview of of history or politics or stuff like that so this is the episode we're actually getting into it in a bit more depth so with that being said I'm just going to get on with it So, my loves, the final solution or otherwise known as the final solution to the Jewish question was the official code name for the murder of all the Jewish people that were in within reach of the Nazi government at the time. So what is now known as the Holocaust and the um, murder of the European Jews. So no one knows exactly when the decision was taken by the Nazi government, to move towards annihilating Jewish people. However, in the minutes that have been found from a meeting um, of top officials at the Wannsee conference in January of 1942, SS officer Reinhard Heydrich outlined how European Jews would be rounded up and sent to extermination camps in the general government, so the occupied part of Poland, that's known as the general government, um, where they would actually be killed so most historians agree that we can't pinpoint a time where a single decision was made to move from policies that encouraged or forced Jewish people to leave the countries they were living in for instance um, there was a plan called the Madagascar plan before um, the final solution and this was formulated in 1940 and that actually aimed at deporting jewish people to the island of madagascar and there were also similar plans kind of floated about to deport um jewish people to siberia or palestine but those plans actually never came into fruition um, but it is after this conference that we see that systematic work um systematic murder has now become the way forward So, how was this jump made? Well, after the Nazis invaded Poland in September of 1939, focus was shifted from expelling Jewish people from Nazi-occupied territories to actually concentrating Jewish populations in specific areas, and these areas became known as ghettos. And this phase was actually quite important as concentrating a lot of Jewish people into one place meant that later on a much more efficient um, deportation process was able to be enacted. Um, It also meant that Jewish people were now being completely excluded and pushed out of everyday life. So not only have they been excluded from politics and from having protection from the state in terms of having rights, um, they're now being physically removed from society and concentrated into specific places so from late 1939 German Polish Austrian and Czech Jews were all beginning to be deported to ghettos um now there were two key phases to the final solution that I mentioned in episode two when I was describing what the holocaust actually is and the first phase was the Mobile Killing Units, or the Einsatzgruppen, as they're known in German, which were special units that were used to implement security measures behind German lines. So these units were responsible for mass shooting operations in the Soviet Union and targeted not only Jews, but Roma, communists, and also Soviet civilians. So what these units would do would be that they would follow German troops into newly occupied Soviet territory and then annihilate entire Jewish communities. Um, so by 1941, the SS and the police had introduced mobile gas vans. Um, so these vans were used um, used exhaust pipes to pump carbon monoxide. Get, uh, carbon monoxide gas like inside the vans and that would suffocate anybody that was inside so um people would be rounded up put into these vans and then uh these uh, the carbon monoxide would be pumped into it so these vans by autumn 1941 which is actually before the Vansy conference where we have this official documentation of a plan um were actually being used alongside shooting people so alongside the Einsatzgruppen going in after german troops and uh and rounding up people and and shooting Communities basically. So, I'm just going to read you a quote from the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum to just explain that a little further. Quote The German occupation authorities carried out shooting operations of Jews and others they deemed to be potential enemies of permanent German rule in the East. These operations lasted until the Germans evacuated the Soviet Union in the first half of 1944 the ss and police often did not have sufficient manpower to carry out these operations so they were assisted wherever necessary by local auxiliaries whom they recruited and by units um, whom they recruited and by units of the german armed forces the germans and their collaborators killed between 1 and 1.5 million jews in shooting operations or in gas vans in occupied soviet union Often referred to as an action, a massacre typically began when Jews and other victims were rounded up or ordered to report to a central destination. The victims were then marched or transported to ki- to a killing site. If a mass grave had not already been dug, the victims were forced to dig one. They were stripped of clothes and valuables and driven into groups to the pit. The Einsatzgruppen and their assistants either shot the victims at the edge so that they fell in or forced them into forced them into the graves to then be shot. Friends and families often had to watch their loved ones die before them. The mass shootings were resource intensive, requiring many shooters and guards like escort guards as well as guns ammunition and transport concerns about the inefficiency of the shootings and their psychological impact on the shooters led to the development of special vans outfitted with engines that pumped carbon monoxide into sealed passenger compartments Jews were packed into the compartments then driven to a mass grave suffocating during the journey And that's the end of the quote from the united states holocaust memorial museum so that's basically a very brief overview of how these actions would be carried out by these mobile killing units and the killing of one to 1.5 million people obviously had a huge effect as it's described on resources, the manpower that it, that it took, the psychological effect that it would inevitably have on the people carrying out these actions. So we then have the next phase of the final solution, which was called Operation Reinhardt. And this is actually what um was I think presented at the the WANSI conference and um this actually turned out to be the deadliest phase of the final solution um it's worth noting that this isn't th- this part of the final solution is is the most intensive killing that happens so it's when it's the action that is purely designed to um annihilate jewish people it doesn't mean that all the other atrocities committed by the Nazis wasn't part of the Holocaust, um, but this is just the intense killing phase that was specifically designed just for murder. Um, So Operation Reinhardt, so there were three killing centres actually established, and uh, those were called... Belzec, Sobibor, and Treblinka, which you may have heard of. Um, and these camps differ, differ from concentration camps as they only serve one purpose and that's as a death camp. So concentration is different because um, you may have been sent to a concentration camp because you're an opposer to a regime. Um, you can be sent there uh, to be worked. You can be sent there to because you're a pris- prisoner of war um but these camps were specifically designed for killing people so all the people who arrived there were only arriving there to be killed no one was used for slave slave labor or anything else um that concentration camps were used for and you did not go there to survive um These camps operated between 1942 and 1943 and approximately 1.7 million people were killed as part of this specific operation. So the majority of the victims were deported from the ghettos that I mentioned earlier where Jewish people had been concentrated and the SS and police forces would liquidate these ghettos and deport people by train to these death camps so this is where where you may have heard the phrase of um, Jewish people being sent to the east for work um, this is because all of these camps were in German occupied Poland so east of Germany um, Jewish victims of Belzec mainly came from the ghettos of southern Poland and included German Austrian and Czech Jews And the Jews that were deported to Sobibor came mainly from Lublin or the Lublin area and other ghettos that were in the east of the general government. And this death camp also received um, transports from France and the Netherlands. And then deportation to Treblinka originated mainly from central Poland I think primarily the Warsaw Ghetto, um, but also from other districts in the uh, general government and other places such as Macedonia. And um, what I think is important to understand about these camps is they were designed to be efficient and systematic Death camps. So a train would usually just arrive very close to where the actual gassing would happen. Um, The victims would be forced off the train under some kind of guise of oh when you when you if you walk down here then you'll be going to work this that and the other but what happens is usually there's a very narrow pathway into the camp so there was no um, there was no way for people to kind of escape or run or um, obviously in very remote places and people would be forced through like these very narrow paths and by the time you realise what, what's going on, you're being forced to undress and then forced into a gas chamber. And then you would have prisoners, the other side of that, who would open the chambers up, take the bodies out, usually burning them or putting them into mass graves. And this whole process would just carry on like that. Like one, I, I mean, I feel like this is when you may have heard that the ho- like the Holocaust was like a machine, like a very systematic train comes in people off the train forced forced down towards the camp undressed straight into the gas chambers and then out into a mass grave on the other side ready for the next people to come in i'm sorry that is terrible it's horrible but it's the reality of what these camps were like um and you hear a lot of times like why didn't people resist why why didn't they overpower like the guards and this that and the other but they didn't know what was they didn't really know what was going on so imagine like the disorientation of coming off this really long train journey like imagine you're being deported from France to then eastern Poland and you've had no food or water or real rest the whole time and you're coming off these trains and you're really disorientated and you're just being forced to kind of walk in a direction with a crowd and then before you know it you're in a room with a lot of other people and that's it um so actually in june 1943 the Belzett killing center was liquidated by the nazis and um re- remaining people who worked at the camp or or whatever were deported to soberbo and actually gassed there and then the last two centres, Treblinka and Sobibor, were then liquidated in the autumn of 1943, and this is following some prisoner uprisings that happened. Um, so I've actually been to to Treblinka, and uh, so after the camps were liquidated, officials ordered that these camps be dismantled and any remaining people be murdered. And like tree, trees were plant, planted and like try and make the area look like nothing ever happened there. And I've actually been through, to Treblinka and it is just basically apart from the the memorial that's there. But it just looks like a big field. You wouldn't, you would be none the wiser if nobody ever put any kind of memorial or anything there. You actually wouldn't know. Um, So I think that go also goes back to like one of the phases of of genocide right was the denial phase and like the covering up of what has actually taken place so um yeah and also Triplinka is much smaller than you would imagine it to be for the amount of people that were actually murdered there it's not a lot of space is needed and I think that's maybe because Birkenau Auschwitz-Birkenau is such a prominent um camp in terms of its size and like the scale of it um Treblinka really is just a field and one that you could walk yourself around like not it wouldn't take you that long at all um so yeah uh so all these camps were closed down um because Himmler feared that there would be further further uprisings by um by people who had been sent there. And uh, Himmler actually ordered the murder of the remaining, Ju- of remaining Jewish people in a two-day killing operation, which is actually called Operation Harvest Festival. So on November the 3rd to 4th um, in 1943, around 42,000 Jewish people were killed and that brought the whole operation to its official close. Now, this doesn't mean that killing didn't still continue. It certainly did, especially at Auschwitz-Birkenau. Um, but it meant that this actual part of the official final solution to the Jewish question, this phase was closed off and these death camps like no longer existed. Um, so some other places that are worth noting are the Majdanek camp. And this served... From time to time, as a death, a partial death camp for Jewish people residing within the general government, Chelmno, um, which was actually the place where the, the use of the gas vans was developed, but it wasn't actually an official, it wasn't actually a, a f- officially part of Operation Reinhardt. So uh, the SS and the police um, killed at least a hundred and I think over one hundred and fifty thousand people at Chelmno. Um, and also some Roma people were killed there, and the primary thing that they used was the gas vans at this camp. Um, And then in spring of 1942, so just before Belzex actually closed down, and then after that, the other two camps, um, Himmler actually designates Auschwitz Auschwitz II, so Auschwitz-Birkenau, as a killing facility. So... Here at Auschwitz-Birkenau, which is probably the most infamous of all the camps, um, it still exists to some degree today in terms of y- you still being able to see barracks and parts of the gas chamber and also in Auschwitz-1 a lot of um, artefacts, such as the infamous pictures you see of piles of shoes or the human hair, which is actually quite disturbing, glasses, Pots and pans, suitcases, that kind of thing. Um, uh, This is where 1.1 million Jews from various countries across Europe were gassed. And I think that's probably the the main thing that people know about the Holocaust is Auschwitz. It's infamous. Um, But that wasn't actually part of the death camps, even though part of it... did become a death camp at, on Himmler's orders, but when in the next episode, I'm going to go going to go into how the Holocaust actually happened, and I will explain more about the the camp system and all of that stuff and uh, the different ways that it was used and what this meant and how this perpetuated the genocide. Um, but that's it, basically, um, for the actual Final Solution two main prominent um, intense killing periods and methods and with that I will end that there because I think that's quite enough heavy stuff now if you would like to read a little bit more about um The Final Solution, in terms of like how it actually happened, I would recommend a book by Christopher Browning that's called Ordinary Men, Reserve Police Battalion 101 and The Final Solution in Poland. I love Christopher Browning because I think he has a really great approach to how how he writes history and specifically very difficult history because it's hard to imagine, right? Like how... Normal people would be part of mobile killing units and so intimately kill other people and I think this book it's not it's not so long it's probably like two hundred pages or so um I think this book really allows you to take a look inside that kind of um like psyche of it all and just how i'll I'll read a little like synopsis um so Ordinary Men is the true story of Reserve Police Battalion 101 of the German Order Police, which was responsible for mass shootings as well as roundups of Jewish people for deportation to Nazi death camps in Poland in 1942. Um, and I think it's a good starting place if you are curious about that. As I said, Christopher Browning, Browning, I really like his approach to how he writes history and how he incorporates um, real life experiences of people. He also has another great book, but it's I don't know i found it very difficult to read and it's called remembering survival and what he's done in that book is actually piece together the the history of a specific i think it's a labor camp um of one labor camp based off of not only um documentation um from the time uh like administrative and and stuff like that but also from the testimony of people who survived the camp and the way that he's integrated the testimony um and putting that along t- alongside like primary sources that historians use um i think just gives a really like well-rounded view of what happened in that specific place um but that one isn't so easy to read. I actually read it a few years ago and found it quite quite haunting. There's something, it's almost like reading like when you read a book and you get really inside of the story. Like that's how close that book brings you to what happened in the camp. Um but yeah those two books I would highly recommend. As I said, I really like Christopher Browning. Um what else? I don't think I really need to do an in the news this week. About the final solution, because I mean it's it it, it doesn't mean ex- explaining kind of like why it's still relevant today. I think it's a very important um, but difficult part of history that we should understand in order to actually like understand how genocides occur and the severity of what actually happens to innocent people. Um, but I would encourage you. Um, to look up these these memorial sites of these camps because um, the people that were actually depor- deported there do deserve to be remembered and acknowledged. And I don't know, maybe you like to give charity at Christmas time and maybe a donation to the centres so they can keep educating people and, and put that towards um, maintaining the sites as sites of memory. Um, So that people are still able to visit them. I don't know. Maybe when all this corona stuff stops happening. Maybe you want to visit the camps. I'm not going to discourage people. I'm also not going to encourage people. That's a very personal decision that you make. I have visited a lot of these camps. And um, it was very important. But also at the same time. I can also wish that I had never done it. So you guys have to make up your minds on that one. Um, so yeah, I think that's it for this episode. It's been, I think, I hope I have done a good job of something that is actually quite um, not very nice to talk about. But if um, anybody does want to email me with any questions or insights, or you can either email me at info at org, or you can DM me, on instagram at without the footnotes i realize it's heavy stuff maybe you have more questions um i am happy to answer them i actually received an email last week from a listener like just wanting to to kind of like ask more questions like the the first episode had sparked um a few different questions and it actually got my brain going and it was it's actually really enjoyable for me to talk over like complex things and topics and and think about um things that i perhaps haven't given much thought to um of late because i have been doing this for a long time and it's not like you come across people every day that want to sit down and talk to you about the holocaust and or genocide or crimes against humanity so allow me to exercise my brain and um yeah, just drop me, drop me an email or whatever if you want to chat some more. And I think that's it for this week. Uh, I hope everybody has a lovely rest of the week. And oh, yeah, please um, rate, review and subscribe. Maybe tell a friend, see if they're interested in listening to the podcast. All of this helps me get more visibility and yeah I need to get on my like promotion game but just you know if you're listening just give a little rate and review that would help me out a lot so yeah that's it for this week I'll catch you next time (laughs) ciao